Happy birthday to my wife, Laurie, if she's in the room. I don't know if she is or not. She's somewhere here. She might be serving one of your children right now. That's her birthday present. Now, but she loves that. Actually, it's one of her most favorite things to do. Um, and, you know, we want to thank the incredible people that serve and make this place happen. I mean, there are people that got here at 6 a.m. this morning, volunteers. This place would shut down if you didn't serve and volunteer. So I want to just say thank you to all of them and give them a great hand this morning. All right. Okay, here we go. On October the 7th, 2001, a group of 65 people gathered in this building after having worked for several weeks in cleaning and preparation. We were having a dress rehearsal for a grand opening. The next Sunday would be the opening Sunday of Heartland Church, and we were working hard to prepare for all the guests that would come. I was excited because that was 900% growth from just my family arriving, from just me and Laurie and our three kids. And now uh, 65 adults and their kids were gathered together. And I sat them down. I said, now listen, I want to give you a vision about what God is going to do here in this church. God is going to use us to change the world. Now I'm talking to 65 people. God's going to use this to change the world. We're going to see thousands of people come to Christ. We're going to see the hopeless and the hurting uh, find help and healing. And we're going to, people who are depressed and discouraged are going to get comfort and help. We're going to see people break free from addictions. We're going to see people set free from stuff that's held them back. And we're going to launch out, and we're not just going to reach our little community here, but we're going to reach out all over Indianapolis. We're going to start churches we're going to start other locations. We're going to send people around the world. We're going to send millions of dollars into uh, changing uh, things that are broken in this world, like poverty and violence. And those 65 people looked at me like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sounds great. Who's, who's this guy? And, you know, it's so funny. When you tell people big dreams, I know not any of you. I know that's not you, but have you ever noticed about other people, like when they've heard big dreams before, that their reaction tends to be... A little cynical? Not you guys. But here's the cool thing about it. I've lived these last 12 years and I've watched. I'm just kind of in awe. Like, what, look what God's done. And look at all the people he brought here. And like, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, 1,300 plus, almost 1,400 people baptized. People being baptized every Sunday. And churches started, seven churches launched out, two locations, all these different services, leaders being developed. Tomorrow, we're going to have, uh, all this next week, we're going to have the Converge uh, Church Planting Assessment Center where we prepare uh, 15 couples to launch into uh, whatever ministry God has for them. I mean, this has become a, a launching pad uh, for ministry. And we've seen people helped, uh, all kinds of brokenness and addictions. And we've got an army of trained caregivers, people who have gone through months and months of training to give hope and encouragement and care to people in times of crisis and people going through through divorce. And we really have given millions of dollars uh, to the poorest places of the world and in our own city. And it's just been an amazing last 12 years. And I shared with you last week a little bit of that story. If you didn't hear it, I'd love for you to go online and just kind of watch and hear not just the story, but really the lessons that we learned in the last 12 years. Do you remember what they are? that even though we're cynical, where God guides, he always provides. Do you remember that one? If God guides you, he'll give you the resources, and he'll give you, I mean, he's the one who said, I'll build my church. You don't have to do it. I'll build it. 
The gates of hell won't even stand against it. But I want to use you. And if you just have the faith to dream and to go and to obey and to do what I ask you to do, I'll build my church. And where God guides, he provides. And then when it doesn't happen on your timetable, when God delays, he's doing something deeper. That's right. God's always doing something deeper in us. We think it's about the destination, and he's trying to transform our lives. And he'll get us to a point always where we say, you know what, God? Okay, your way is fine. I'll trust you. And then we turn from this kind of self-absorbed person to, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And as we start to give ourselves to him, as we give our lives away and give our resources and our time, what God has given, he multiplies. Good. And what God has given, he just multiplies beyond what we could even imagine. We didn't start this church, I mean us, we didn't, but we've seen God multiply it. In the last 24 months, half of the people coming to Heartland Church came in the last 24 months. The curve of what God is doing is just beginning to take off, and you're a part of it. And then, then the last thing I said was, what God starts, he finishes. And nobody gets excited really about the start of a race. It's always the finish line. And I just wanted to tell you that I didn't think we're at the finish line at all. I actually think it's just beginning. I think that this is just the beginning of what God is trying to do. And so this morning I want to talk to you like the 65 people that first gathered together. In fact, what if, here's a big what if. What if this has all just been a big launch team experiment? That we really haven't started yet. That well, all God's been doing the last 12 years has been gathering you and bringing you together because he's ready to launch something and he needed to have the right people on the bus and he was giving us about 10 years, a decade of practice and teaching us and through all of our mistakes and the things that we've done, but he's getting us ready for what he wants to do next. It would appear on every measurable indicator that that's what God is about to do. And so I want to hit the pause button for a moment and say, why are you here? Why are we here? What is it that we do? And if we ever get this wrong, it would so change the culture of who we are I don't think that any of us would want to even come anymore. We can't ever get this wrong. This is the most important part of who we are. I want to talk about what we're supposed to do, why we do it, and, and how we do it here, okay? So pull out that little outline, and let's just start off with the mission of our church. Why are we here? Okay, read this with me. We're here to love people well, to lead them into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ, and lead them to launch out, to love people well. Can you guys read that with me? Can we read it together? This is really important. We're here to love people well, to lead them into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ, and launch them out to love people well. One more time. It's worth it. We're here to love people well, lead them into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ, and launch them out to love people well. That's it. that's it. Now, God hasn't called us to build anything huge, but that's a culture he's called us to create. And when we have the culture right, God says, now my spirit can work in that. And that's why everything great has happened, okay? Now, listen, let's just break this down. Love people well. Where, where do you get love people well from? Well, that's the great commandment of Jesus. When they asked him, what's the most important commandment in the whole Bible? What? Give me the cliff notes of the Bible in one phrase, Okay. And he said this, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. The person asking him the question was a lawyer, an attorney, and he didn't have any problem with the first part. Yep, love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Check. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa. Because like all of us, the lawyer made an emotional decision and then he uses his legal training to give him logical answers for why he feels the way that he feels. You do the same thing. I've made some decisions about some people I don't really like. I wouldn't want them on the inside. Um, I love people, but not those people. So what we do is, is that we, we say, okay, these are the people that I want to love, but, you know, where can I draw the line? And give me some reasons and give me a list so I can have some logical defense in order to exclude some other people. That's what the lawyer is doing. And you have a little lawyer on the inside of you too. <laughs> can we afford this? Yes. Now we go and find all the reasons why we can we make the emotional decision. Oh, it's out of our budget. Yes, but we can get four jobs. It'll work. That's the lawyer coming out. Okay, so what happens is this guy is doing the same thing. He's saying, um, well, who is my neighbor? Now, if, he, if Jesus gives him a straight answer, the guy will argue with him. So Jesus, like he always does, tells a story. Now, if this is the greatest commandment that's ever been given, and then Jesus answers it with a story, I argue this is the greatest story in the Holy Testament. And I think it is. Listen to it like the first time. So there was a man who went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now Jericho is a bad place. Jericho is a cursed city. Jericho is now populated not as a city, but it's really a bunch of um, uh, nomadic uh, people, uh, drifters, uh, you know, shacks and people hanging out doing bad stuff. It's the place you go to get the stuff for the party you weren't supposed to to go to <laughs> that place, that road. And consequently, there's bad people on that road, and it's not a good place. And good people don't go on the road because, you know, it's the place, it's the highway to hell. So, so, so you're not going on that road. Well, this guy decides to go on the road. He's on the road to Jericho. And of course, consequently, he is met by robbers who beat him up, steal all of his stuff, his money, and leave him for dead. Now, in this, he's got everybody's attention, Jesus does. He's a master storyteller, and he says, all right, and then some people walk by the dead or the dying, bleeding, hurting guy. And Jesus is so great. He picks, like, the contrast of the most important religious person in the whole area. He says, the priest of the temple, like the pastor of the church, like the famous leader of the church, and he walks by, and everybody's going, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen here? Yeah, that guy walked by, but you know what? He didn't even go over. He walked. The scripture's so clear. It talks about Luke 10 that he sees and he hears, but he walks across on the other side. Walks away. How could he? I mean, who does that? A person's bleeding and dying, and you don't go over. You just keep on your business. You know why? Judgmental heart. You've decided, like, what business did you have on this road anyway? And you shouldn't have been going this. And I told you so. And, and I, I am not getting involved with this. And, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of judgments in the heart. And then the action is, I'm going to withdraw from you. Because this is way too messy for me. Withdraw. And, by the way, I'm a priest. I got stuff to do down at the temple. Second guy comes along, and he actually works at the same temple. He's a temple assistant. He's, he's a Levite. He's what you might call today the worship leader. So, you know, very, you know, they feel things, you know, and they're very passionate kind of people. And this guy has a heart. He walks over because he, oh, oh. he walks over, sees the guy, and he's looking over at him. But then he has this thought, like, if I get involved here, 
I could be disqualified from doing my job in the ministry. I mean, like if I touch and this guy dies, I could be touching a dead body. I would be disqualified. I couldn't sing anymore. I couldn't perform. Couldn't do my job at the too messy. So we don't know what he said, but whatever. He came over. He had compassion, but then he weighed out the risk. What will people think and all that kind of stuff? And what will people say? And what if I'm caught? And all of that. A little lawyer started playing in his mind, and he, he left the guy. He keeps on going on his way. So then a despised Samaritan is, comes walking down the road, and he's got everybody's attention. See, for us, you got to understand Samaritan's not a bad thing for us. Like, that's cool. If, the, if you have a flat tire and the Samaritan truck stops for you, you're happy, right? That's a good thing. If somebody called you, oh, you're such a good Samaritan, be like, thank you very much. No, don't say that. Oh, yes, please say that. You would, you would, you would like that if somebody said that about you. But a despised Samaritan, the, the Jews hated the Samaritans. I mean, it wasn't anything but just outright racial prejudice. It was just, we don't even know what you come from. You're some kind of mixed, interracial, whatever you are, and we'll have nothing to do with you. And uh, we're the purebred children, sons of Israel. You know, we're, we, you, you have your own ways of worship. We do ours. We, we have our religion. You have yours. We don't talk to each other. Prejudice. And so consequently, the, the Samaritans didn't like the Jewish people either. But the scripture says, uh, despised and a different kind of Samaritan comes walking down the road. And, you know, he doesn't respond based on his feelings. I'm sure that this guy was no different than any other Samaritan. He'd felt oppression. He'd felt the prejudice. He felt injustice. He'd had some judgment and some discouraging things happen to him, but you don't see him responding in a reactive, emotional kind of way. For some reason, his internal little lawyer's turned off, and he sees a human being in need. And you may be a Jew, but you've got some problems, and I need to help you. And ministry is just meeting needs with love. That's all it is. And so he runs over. The scripture says, begins to minister to this guy, and it says that he begins to help him get involved, bandage up his wounds with oil and wine. Always the oil first, which I find so important that he puts the oil on, which you know what its purpose is, is to soothe. I mean, this is, this is before modern medicine, but the, but the symbolism is clear, to soothe and to, to, to begin a softening process, to be gentle. But then the wine. You ever see those old westerns? And the guy got the bullet hole and they say, brace yourself, better give him something to bite because this is going to hurt. And, um, you know, that, that, that's where the phrase, you know, um, it was old medicine like that where you get the phrase, put salt on the, on the wound. You know, it really comes from is that before modern medicine, to help preserve meat or something that's an injury, you got to rub salt into that. That's all they had. No anesthesia, you just rub salt. Can you imagine? That's how painful it was. But the person receiving it is going, it's going to hurt, but I need it. I don't want to, I don't want to die. Oil and wine. The, the, the man is a businessman. He's obviously on his way somewhere. He's a person of means. Puts the person on his donkey, means he's walking. Whatever his agenda was, whatever place he was going, is uh, no longer uh, the agenda. He sacrificed his plans and his meeting and whatever opportunities or whatever financial gain might have been at the end of whatever purpose he was going for. And the new priority is I got to get this guy to help. So he takes him to an inn where he spends the entire night, stays up the whole night caring for this man. In the morning, gives the innkeeper enough money, two days of wages, 
and says, take care of them. And when I return, what? Yeah, because I'll come back now. I mean, you're part of my life, and I know I could go on to my life, but I'm going to come back and check on you. And when I come back, if there's more expense, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there for you. I'll take care of it. Now, Jesus asked the lawyer, now which one was the neighbor of the three? And the guy can't even say Samaritan. You read Luke, Luke 10, it, he's, he doesn't say, well, the Samaritan. He can't even say that because it's like, oh, why did I even ask Jesus? <laughs> can't say the Samaritan. He goes, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus goes, that's right. The one who showed him mercy. That's your neighbor. And then you start thinking about what really happened. You know, Samaritan... You know, you look at the contrast, right? You look at the contrast of the values at work. You've got judgment and withdrawal and selfish preoccupation, which, by the way, that's so, that Jesus is so, such a genius. He's labeling what religion looks like through all time and even till today. You ask a person in our country at random, give me some words to describe Christianity in America, and say things like, ah, judgmental, uh, they withdraw, and they separate from people not like them, and they're kind of preoccupied with whatever's going on in their peculiar little subculture. And then, and then Jesus says, yeah, but let me show you a contrast. And by contrast, instead of judgment, it's, it's unconditional acceptance. I mean, unconditional. And then instead of withdrawal, it's mercy and compassion and getting involved. And instead of selfish preoccupation, it's sacrificial generosity. And we're amazed at the generosity. And it's that last one that got me. And I realized, oh my gosh, Jesus is putting himself in his own story. God so loved the world that he gave. And God uh, is the one who sent his son up from heaven down to the place that was broken, to the place that was hurting, into all of our lives and all of the different ways that we got ourselves off track. And you knew those bandits were coming. And you went anyway. And yet you found yourself somewhere on the Jericho Road. All of us have been on that Jericho Road. And God came and said, I'm coming to people just like that. And he's going to respond. And when he comes, John's gospel says it this way. Uh, in the beginning, uh, when God came to earth, the, the word or God himself became flesh and he dwelt among us. Full of what? Grace and truth. And like oil and wine, Jesus knows exactly how to give us exactly what we need. He always gives us grace first. God so loved the world that he gave. And then he said, I didn't come to condemn the world at all. I came to save the world. Paul writes about it. He says, it's the kindness of God that leads us towards repentance. In fact, he goes on to write about how uh, right and wrong and good and bad, that's all written on the human heart. Every person already knows. And for the person that wants to do it th their way, God says, you know, go ahead and go. He tells another story about a young man that decided he wanted to do it his own way and take the fortune and run. And the dad, God figure in the story, says, you know what? I know you got a lot of blind spots, but that's what you want to do. Go for it. And I'll be right here when you come back. Unconditional love. Acceptance. Mercy. Sacrificial generosity. And when I look at that, I go, I don't know that I know how to love like that. And yet that's what he's 
calling me to be it. He's calling you to be if you're saying that, well, I'd like to follow Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ. He comes into our world and he says, I'm so different than religion. And I would like to say that I think what people are so hungry for, they're looking for Jesus, right? People really are looking for Jesus. But they've been hurt a lot and shot a lot and judged a lot and withdrawn from a lot and found people that just didn't care. But um, most people understand that they do need some help in their life. And they can't even understand all of it. They, they have a lot of blind spots. They can't see all of the problems. You get a little bit older and you let life live its course. You have enough embarrassing things that are back in the closet that nobody knows about, stuff that we don't want to ever uh, show to the light of day. Um, we all have that in our lives. And so we start living with a couple of baggage friends called guilt and shame. And they kind of walk around with us and they tell us this lie constantly in our ear that I'm not enough and I'm tragically flawed. And so we go through life perfecting an image and a front to say, well, I am enough and I'm good and I'm successful and I'm, I'm, I'm happy. But here's the problem. Though people wouldn't admit to being lost or on the Jericho Road, and people say, well, you know, I'm really not like that. I'm good. I'm successful. Think about the image that everybody creates, and think about how unhappy most people really are. People say, you know what? I'm so desperate not to feel what I really feel. I'm going to have, you know, some beer and a bowl of ice cream. That's what I want. That's what I need. We live in the most medicated most obese, most uh, ex escapist culture generation ever in the history of our country. And because people just want to numb, they get home from the day and they just go, I just want to numb out. But the problem is you can't numb selectively. You can't just numb out the bad. You numb everything. You numb joy. You numb happiness. You, you numb uh, all, everything good. And there's, you know, it gets a little tragic after a while. So this vicious cycle. And so when you find uh, people that have no joy and no peace and no happiness and the ability to get that's been, been, been taken away, people get angry and people get reactive. And I'm, I'm suspecting that all of the, the reactionary rage and all of the quick temper that you see, and I mean, come on. We're talking about loving people well. Some of you guys aren't even going to make it out of the parking lot today. <laughs> Our poor parking lot folks that show up here just to greet people and love people well in the morning and you guys don't love them very well back. <laughs> That's a whole other sermon. Why? Why? Well, because you like them, but it's just at that moment they're telling you what to do. I don't have to, you know. But I'm just saying there's something in us that's, there's something in us as a culture that's super reactive right now. And it goes right along with the whole, I got to numb and I've got to escape and, you know, all that. There's something going on under the surface. And, and, and here we are with this command of Jesus that's been dropped on our lap, in our culture, in our generation. And he says, love people well. And we're like, ah, how do I do that? How do we do that? What, what's going to make me able to do that? Because I don't really even know that I understand why I'm so reactive and why I'm carrying around guilt and shame and all that. And you know, it's really bad for Christian people, for religious people who try to like pretend and, you know, show up at church on Sunday and everything's great and everything's good, but there's these pockets. You know, it's hard. You know what happens? We get pretty angry and we get upset and we try to justify the way we feel by pointing the finger at other people. It just happens. And, um, you know, we want certainty about everything because we really want, we don't want life to feel bad. We want, to, we want control. So we want certainty and we want, you know, who's in and who's out and who's right and who's wrong. 
And we want to know those kind of things. Why? Because we feel bad on the inside. Well, here's the gospel. The gospel is, is that God accepts people just as they are. Right in their present, right in their mess. He cares. He wants uh, to heal what's broken. He's given everything for you. He's incredibly patient. He even lets people live with their blind spot. That's that scripture I read to you before. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud, and on and on it goes. It, it never rejoices, you know, when bad things happen to the bad. I mean, it just, it's, just, it's all about justice and fairness. Never gives up. Love endures all kinds of things. So let me just clear something up. You know what love is? Love's not, this isn't love the feeling I'm talking about today. Love the feeling is for books and for when we're 16 and, no, I'm just kidding. It's, it's for now, but I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm not talking about that love. I'm talking right now about behavior. Like God's calling us to some behavior. To say, I know how you feel. I know you're prejudiced against certain people. I know you're reactive and I know that, but right now I'm calling you to the behavior, and he sets the standard. He says, here's the behavior. It's, it's acceptance, and it's mercy, and it's sacrificial generosity. That's the behavior of love. He calls us to this behavior, and he says, this is what I'm after in your life. And we're saying, I want to do that, but I keep messing that up. You know why it is? Because we've got blind spots. We don't know why we are the way that we are. You ever had that it's kind of embarrassing when you realize, I got some blind spots. It's kind of humbling. I, I was speaking here one Sunday morning, and we just had the music finish, and everybody was happy. It was one of those days where everybody was just into it, and it was really great. And uh, I said, greet one another. And everybody's like, okay. And they're all greeting each other. And uh, I see this guy in the front, and he comes running up with his hand out to shake my hand. I'm like, oh, he wants to greet me. So I go, hey. And he goes, pastor, your zipper's down. <laughs> so I went, all right. You know, good to see you. <laughs> And um, I was trying to do one of those moves, like, because I didn't want you guys to know. And I was trying to, like, be real slick and, you know, kind of, you know, you know, hold my Bible in a certain way. And what is that? Where we just can't go, hey, you know, sorry. <laughs> you know, there, there's, I don't know, I don't know why I should have, but I didn't. And you, we just want to hide that embarrassing stuff. And I, and the, my first reaction was like, you know, because you don't want to hear that. But then your second reaction is like, oh, I'm so glad he told me, right? That's a real friend. In fact, I was one of my friends. Because, you know, real friends will tell you the truth. <laughs> Amen on that, right? Real, real friends will say, you know, I know he's not going to want to hear this, but I have to tell him. This is what God is after in our lives. God is after security, relationships of acceptance, and relationships of, uh, of, of people meeting our needs and serving our needs and giving us lots of patience. And when we feel like we're finally secure, our friends can start saying, hey, here's how I experience life on the other end of you. And uh, we start to grow. A few years into the start of this church, and when things began to really start to take off, I was so excited and I was terrified. See, I thought my problem was, was that I was worried about failure, but then my problem became success. Last week I told you about the worst thing that could happen would be failure, right? Well, then the worst thing that happened was success because now there's success and how do I keep this going and how do I lead this and how am I able to, I've never done this before and people have all these expectations and they want me to, you know, preach another good one and I, you know, and I, and I, ah, 
And I started to be, you know what happens, guys? You, you guys know this. When you get under pressure at your job or you just feel like you can't and you're powering up, but you know, you get kind of reactive and you're angry and you're letting it out on your kids and you're letting it out on people you love and you're just trying to make, you're trying to make it work. And I was there. And one of my friends came and said, hey, you know what? Can I tell you what it's like being on the other end of you right now? And I got into this small group with a few people that was so transformational. See, one of the great things about friends is, is that when you have some people that you start to share your life with, you realize, hey, I'm with some people that I don't have to, like, do the image thing with. And, and they heard the bad and the ugly, and they just are there. And one of the most powerfully connecting things that you can ever hear in your life is when somebody says, yeah, me too. Think about that. What? Yeah, yeah, me too. Let me tell you my story. The thing you just shared with me, let me tell you, that's my struggle too. Wow. I remember a night when a guy shared his whole life with me, and all I could feel for him was, you are so brave. You are so incredibly brave just to lay it on the line, and I love you, brother. I care about you. Let me pray for you. And this guy is just crying. He's going, I never had friends like this my whole life. Why? Because he had some people that knew how to lead with love and acceptance, mercy, and compassion, and some generosity. But then on the other side of that, um, some people that could say, hey, here's what's so. Here's what's real. So this is the second part of this story. Love people well. Why? Because it's the most powerful force in the world. It's not some mushy little feeling, you know, put flowers in your hair and run around. I mean, it's, 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 it's just a powerful, it's powerful. It's strong. Strong. Because it, because didn't, didn't, doesn't the Bible say it's the kindness of God that leads us towards repentance, right? So, so it's a strong behavioral sort of love. So from day one, we knew that for this little experiment to work, it could never just be about sitting in rows. It could never just be about Sunday morning. It could never just be about us all coming to church and saying, praise Jesus, everything's great, and then we all leave. That, that it was going to have to be the same sort of relational thing that we had going on in our living room. We were going to have to be able to do that over and over and over again. And you know, the more I think about it, in the Bible, there's almost no instruction in the New Testament about Sunday morning. Think about that. That's the whole deal for most of us. It's like, I went to church, checked in on Foursquare. I was there. Give me credit. I was there. Facebook. Tweeting it out. I'm at Heartland. And we were there. We get credit. I went to church. Well, guess what? It doesn't even talk about that, really. I mean, yes, it does a little bit. We know that they sang. We don't know what the songs were. We know there was teaching. We don't know how long or what, what the sermons were. We kind of guess we know what they taught about. We don't know how loud the volume was. We, there's all kinds of stuff we don't know. We know that they ate the Lord's Supper together, but it seemed that that happened most of the time in small groups and homes. So, so what, did they, what was the activity? What's that whole book about? And it's all this activity about what you're supposed to do together. Love one another. Forgive one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Bear with one another, which means that, yeah, bear with them because you don't like them right now. Bear with one another. Like, like they did something that you don't agree with. Paul, in that passage where he talks about um, love is patient and kind, and he gives that whole description, you know what he goes on to say? He says that when I was a, a child, I thought like a child. But I don't think that way anymore. What is a, how does a child think? 
A child is like, you don't do it my way, we're not friends. <laughs> you disagreed with me? Oh, we can't be friends. Uh, you, you said something I don't like? Well, we're done. And so he says, you know, love is different than that. Love is some behavior. Love is, love is, is different. And then he goes on to say that, you know, I used to think I saw things so clearly, but I realized I was just looking uh, through a glass. It was dark. It was, it was a mystery. And, and, and uh, maturity is realizing, you know, I don't see everything. I don't even see my own blind spots. I'm just going to love people well. And realize that I don't have to make everything certain. I just need to be open and humble. So we decided that, you know, there's all these one another's, there's all these activities. What we're going to have to do is we're going to have to connect together deeply in circles and not just in rows. It can't just be about Sunday morning. It's going to have to be around kitchen tables and living rooms and patios. And, you know, right now there are thousand, over a thousand people that meet this way as part of our church every single week, meeting around kitchen tables and patios and things like that. All this, all of this, uh, you know, ability now to submit to one another and serve one another and care for one another and all of that. Um, restoring one another. Oh, that's so important because, you know, in this whole world, you screw up, you make a mistake, it's kick you out. In fact, in a lot of churches, it's that way. But what does the Bible say to us? Hey, the one who restored or the one who fell, who broke down, who, who didn't do what he was supposed to do, what are you supposed to do to that person? Restore that person to love. Don't kick him out. God didn't kick you out. Restore him. So we've had this little experiment. We've called them small groups, and I've come up with something that I want to start trying to introduce. And really, what are we trying to do with these groups? Well, we're in the groups is where we're leading people into the transforming relationship with Jesus. So let's just look at the word lead. Well, let's, let's break that down and just write out some, what does lead mean? Well, when we get together in our groups, here's a little pattern for us to follow. We're going to love one another and learn to love one another. And we're going to learn God's word. We're going to learn. We're going to learn how to love. God's word, by the way, is not just something to be studied or uh, just like some academic thing. It's really a, it's a guide for how to do relationships right. It's got story after story of how to do of relationships that went wrong. And it's a story of, of, of people who did it right. And then all this advice about here's how you relate to God and relate to other people. And people who approach the Bible with a sense of, I really need help here, they always get something out of it. It's been doing that for, you know, millennia. So we're going to learn. That's L. E, what do we do? We're going to encourage each other. We're going to encourage each other when we hold ourselves up to the word and we say we fall short. Guess what? We, me too. And we're going to encourage each other and support each other and be committed to one another, bear with one another. We're going to encourage each other. A, what are we going to do? We're going to achieve some authenticity. <laughs> It might not happen right away, but over time when I start to see, you know, your love and you see my love and we get to know each other, I hope we can be authentic. I hope that we can stop playing the, you know, the I'm perfect, you're perfect. <laughs> we know that's not true. But, but what if we could be authentic? And then you know what comes from authenticity? Integrity. Because I can start to be real. When I share with you what I need help with, it's, it's amazing how I learn how, man, I want to keep my word to my friend. Integrity. What do I, where am I at? L... Okay, so L is what? Uh, learn, encourage, achieve authenticity, and D, which is let's dream together. Why, 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 what is that all about? Well, because up until that point, you're living a little selfish life when it's all about you and how much God is mad at you because of what you did wrong and all of, you know, my guilt and my shame and all of this and me and my, I'm not worthy. 
and I never think about what God could use me for. But you get into that environment with encouraging people, and you start being real, and afterwards you go, shit, I could help some people. And I could, I could serve. And what if we together, what if we started taking responsibility for our neighborhood or for this ministry or for, for whatever God, maybe he's calling me to be a leader and we start to dream about how God could launch us out. That's what we're doing. In fact, you're going to hear me start calling these lead groups all the time now because that's what we're doing. We are loving people well, leading them into a transforming relationship with Jesus. For what purpose? So that we can just love each other? No. Because God's mission at the end of the day, is that he wants to launch us out. You remember the mission of Jesus is, I came to seek those who were lost. I came to seek and to save those who are lost. And so he said to his disciples, he said, listen, guys, I know there's just a few of you right now, but I've been risen from the dead. And they saw him, and they were excited, and they were expecting him to take over the kingdom. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. All authority and power has been given to me, but now you're going to go. What? Can you imagine? It'd be like, like talking to 65 people back in the old, um, in the old uh, warehouse, and they're going, sure, we're going to change the world. And Jesus is going, yep, all power, all authority has been given to me. Now you guys go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. What's that? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. We already covered this. Love God with all your mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love people well. You do that and take that across the whole world. And my Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to change. You're not going to be the same. In fact, you're going to not only do it here in Jerusalem, but you're going to take my message out into this whole region. And you're going to, some of you are even going to cross the cultures and we're going to start reaching the people who are, who we don't like, those Samaritans. Samaritans, all of the people that are different from us in different cultures and where all that prejudice is. And even to the ends of the earth. And surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. That's Jesus' mission. That's what he's trying to accomplish. And he's invited you and me onto that mission. And that's what blows my mind. I skipped a verse, but listen to this. Jesus said at one point, he said, I dream that my whole church will be one around this mission. He prays for the guys, but then he says, guys, I'm going to pray for all those who one day will believe. They'll never see me. That's us. And he says, I pray that they would be one. Why? So that the world will know that I came from God and that the world will know that God loves them. Well, how will the world, well, how will the world know that? Well, when they see our love, when they see your strong love for one another, the way we've got to be a model to this world. There's no hope for the world for reconciliation, for peace, for anything except the people of God. It, it's got to happen with us. And he says, I want to put you in the lab. Stop listening to the lectures. Get in the lab, love people well, and launch out uh, to change the world. And show people, not by your churches and by your programs and by your music and all that, they will see your strong love when they see your love for one another. And this message has been going out, not just through us, but this message is going out through all of the world. One life at a time, people's lives are being changed. And right now, whether you're aware of it or not, there is a move of God that's sweeping our planet. And people are hungrier for God than ever before. And you can, you can just keep going with this culture and be totally unaware and be, have a huge blind spot about the work of God. Or you can say, I want to get into the work of the Lord. And I want to figure out what he put me on this earth for. And you talk about joy. And you talk about figuring out your purpose. It's all wrapped up 
in loving people well, leading them to a transforming relationship with Jesus, and then launching out open-handed, no longer selfish and caught up with yourself, but ready to love people. That's happening every single day of our lives. Last Sunday after I finished talking to you, and I don't know if you're even here today, but this great young man named Vic and his fiance walked up to me and um, walked over right on the side and said, hey, Darren, that just, that's so, he just said, that was just, it just you just spoke to me. That spoke to my heart. And, and he had a little tear in his eye. And I could have just said, well, thank you. And just, you know, left it at there. But you know what I know? I know that God is at work in people's lives all the time. And so I just put my hand on his shoulder. And, and if I said, I think I said, um, you know, after all that you've been through and all that you've done and everything that you regret, and God is talking to you today, he must love you very much. I have never met him in my life, but I just know that's true about all of us. And big tears came up in his eyes, and he broke down, and I said, if, if God loves you and he's talking to you, then you ought to talk to him. And let me help you with that. Let me help you talk to God right now. And his fiance came over, and she said, I need to pray too. And I watched that miracle of transformation where a person just realizes God's love for them in that moment. It's happening every, every single week, and you could be a part of that. Why did God bring you here? I think it's because he's getting ready to launch us in a way that we can't even imagine yet. We, we think it's all now, but I think it's on the scale of something that's so great, and he needed every single one of you. Some of you have such incredible gifts of mercy. Just waiting for that to pass, because I want you to hear this. Some of you have such incredible gifts of mercy that people will come here and everybody else would reject it, but you'd be like, I will never reject you. You just have it in you to, to go love people well. Some of you have the gift of leadership and you know how to organize. And some of you have the gift of administration. Some of you have the gift of giving. You say, I can fund that. And some of you have the gift of mercy and, and helps. And some of you say, you know what? I've got the gift to cross cultures. I know how to make this work. And he's bringing all of us together because there's a huge need in our culture right now for the church of Jesus, for the functioning body of Jesus, not religion, but for the functioning body of Jesus to be present. And I just think he wants every single one of you to be a part of it. So next week we start the 40 days in the Word, and all of it really takes place in small groups together. And I want to invite you to jump in. It's time to get fully engaged in the mission of Jesus. Get involved in a small group. We had 600 people join in January, and we're going to need about 100 of you to say, yep, I'm willing to host a home. And you say, well, what do you mean? I don't know how to teach people. I can't lead anybody in anything spiritual. I've, listen, we got, we've got everything for you. We've got the curriculum, the notes, um, all the instructions. We have a coach for you. You'll never grow faster than when you take responsibility for your own spiritual journey and a few other people. You'll just grow. You say, well, I don't know. What if somebody asks me a question? I can't answer and you say this answer. This is the great answer. You say, I don't know. <laughs> you say, I don't know, but I have a coach and I'm going to ask him and I'll come back next week and we'll talk about it. You know, I mean, it's just that easy. There's no, you say, well, I've got kids and I can't afford a babysitter. I will pay your, I'll pay your babysitter. We will. The church will pay that. We've done that for years. I don't know if you know that, but we, we believe in this so much. We don't want anything to be an obstacle. So I want you to join a small group. I want you to sign up for it. I want everybody to be a part of this incredible 40 days in the Word. And let's get ready for what God is going to do in this coming fall. It's going to be our best season yet. Say the words with me. Love, lead, 
Launch. One more time. Love. Launch. All right, take a look at my friend Vic and I, who I met last week. Watch this. This is what it's all about. Well, right now I'm struggling in my life, and uh, I've been praying for God to come to show me a, a sign, and I think this might be the sign today, what he said. Something he preached today touched me, so um, I'm here to start a beginning in my life. My heart's heavy. I'm pretty lost. Um, been struggling for about two years now. Uh, my life, everything around me is falling apart. Everything's on life support. Um, I'm afraid if I keep trying to do something my way, it's not going to work. Um, it's evident that, that it's not working. My Father, I thank you for this couple. I thank you for bringing them to this place in their life. Thank you that you were speaking to them both so clearly today. There's a lot of things that need to be made straight, but you can do it. And they've come to you humbly, and they've invited you to be their Lord and Savior. So come into their life. Lead them from this day forward. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, even as they're baptized today. Give them a brand new start. Forgive all their sins. We thank you. was so brave and so courageous to step out and be real. And when you do that, friends, God's going to change your life. Don't live in that little world of holding people out, keeping people out. God has a big plan for your life. He's got healing for your soul. He's got stuff that he can fix inside of you that will set you free. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. I know that's true. And so today, if God's talking to you after all that you've done and all the regrets that you have, all the mistakes you've made, and he's talking to you today, he must love you very much. And we love you very much. And if, you, if he loves you, you should talk to him. Make your peace with God today. Let me pray for you. Bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for every person here. There's not an accident in this room. There's no accidental life. I mean, accidental parents maybe, but no accidental children. You've made every single person, and you care about them. And, and they're here today, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them now. Why don't you talk to him? Say, dear God, I know that I've been trying to make it all happen my way. I've been living with my fists closed, so to speak. I, I try to control everyone and everything. I get mad when things aren't my way. And Lord, today that's just not working. And I'm sorry for holding you at bay. I've, I've even held grudges against you. And today I humbly come. I ask you to forgive me. And I'm sorry, and I want to follow you. I don't even know what to do, but I'm willing, and I pray that you'd help me. If that's you, right now I'm talking to you, you say, yes, God, that's me. Say it in your heart to the Lord. That is me, God. That's me. It's my prayer. 
And some of you, I want to talk to the rest of you who you've been Christians for a while, but you only sit in the row and it's damaging your soul and you need to grow. And I'm praying right for you right now. Holy Spirit, every person that needs to be called up into this mission off of just spectating and into the game. I pray that you'd speak so strongly to them today, that today is the day and this is the season and this is where I begin to grow. I pray you'd give them courage to be brave and not to be afraid of just meeting new people. And I pray that you'd open the door and bring the right group uh, together. Lord, I just ask that you'd uh, open the door for them. And I pray, and if that's you, just pray, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. I commit to you. I want to grow. I want to learn how to love people well and lead them into a relationship with you. Launch me out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.